Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello, all of you good humans, and welcome back to a special one-off extra episode this week, really special one for International Women's Day today. I was lucky enough to last minute get to have a chat with an incredible woman, and I knew I had to get this out today because I want today to be not only about celebrating women, but also a day for us to take a bit of action and educate ourselves around some topics that can really help women in the future. And this amazing lady who is on the podcast today, her name is Chanel Contos. She's a young, incredible woman from over on Sydney's eastern suburbs. And a year ago, she created, or just over a year ago now, she realized a massive problem with the education around consent at schools. She ran some interesting Instagram polls and she realized how big the problem was. And she realized that it stemmed back to our education. Since then, she has done some amazing things. She's started a website called Teachers Consent, created a petition and got over 45,000 signatures. And she's actually making change. In between recording the actual episode, I recorded on the Saturday. Today, right now, while I'm recording this little intro is on the Monday. The podcast comes out tomorrow on Tuesday. And between us having this chat, she actually just got announced that the Australian federal government has allocated teachers consent $8.51 million in funding for over five years to develop a suite of resources designed for children and youth 11 to 16 on consent and relationship, respectful relationships. The resources will be developed by Our Watch and Teachers Consent, which is Chanel's own organization she has created and will be available for use in the broader communities such as corporate sectors for parents, sporting organizations, youth and family services. An additional $5 million is also being allocated to develop a national survey of high school students on issues relating to consent. So Chanel's made a massive impact. This conversation talks all about it. Um, she goes into a few really educational things that I learn a lot from and hopefully you guys do too. This is an opportunity today. I mean, I always say this to try and share the podcast around, but I think today is a really good opportunity to share it around, to try and educate your friends because I know I learned some stuff and the more we can take accountability and have the humility to say, you know what, maybe I didn't know some stuff and it's important for me to learn this. So yeah, make sure you share this with your friends. Um, make sure you get around Chanel, check out Teach Us Consent. I'll leave everything in the show notes and yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing Chanel? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. It's nice to sit down have a chat. We kind of met through social media like two days ago and I was like, this is a perfect opportunity. <laughs> I had a look through your socials and, um, I'm so inspired by the work you've done and so inspired by your story. And I think everyone listening to this will be as well. And Today is when this podcast comes out, International Women's Day, and I think you're a perfect advocate for that to not only share your story, but also encourage people to get educated. So yeah, let's go back to the start. Mm, yeah, well, this worked out well. Perfect timing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to the start of Chanel. Mm-hmm. Where'd you grow up? What was family life like? And yeah, what was kind of the values that you can remember your family tried to instill in you from a young age? 
Yeah, so I grew up in um, Sydney's eastern suburbs, had a yeah very privileged upbringing, which I feel um, has also kind of been a centre point of a lot of the work I do to kind of comment on how privilege has like kind of translated into all of these other issues and how it intersects um, with that. And I guess I grew up with values in my family that were quite traditional. My parents are both, um, they were both born in Australia, but they're Greek and pretty like old school like traditional vibes and um I feel like as I got older actually like reflecting on that and thinking of all the problems that those values caused was kind of part of the reason why I so actively try to promote these new values now because I had to do so much unlearning Mm. as I got older from kind of the things I was taught were like right and wrong um, in youth about things like gender and sexuality and like expectations and attitudes towards those things yeah it's interesting that you can reflect on not interesting but it's nice to know that you can reflect on that and it's such a it's a hard thing I think for young people to not go against their parents but to unlearn the things that we do get taught whether it be from parents mentors teachers we generally just listen and take on advice from other people and it's really cool that you've got that awareness around that Let's go into school life. Primary school, maybe skip that because I think high school, apologies for the sound. We are in Sydney City right now recording in one of Chanel's friends' bedrooms, but we do what we have to at Good Humans Podcast here to make it work. But let's go back to high school life. What sort of school did you go to? And yeah, what was that like in Sydney's eastern suburbs? Because I know it can be a pretty volatile place to go to school sometimes. Yeah, so I went to uh, Kambala, which is a all-girls private school in Rose Bay, in the eastern suburbs, and I had so much fun. Like, I love my school friends so much. You know, we're in one of their rooms right now, and um, we've, yeah, discussed. We have some mutual friends that also went to that school. Um, yeah, so I had a really, really, really good time at school, but I also, again, think the kind of, like, privilege that was ingrained in the kind of social groups that we hung around with and again those sort of kind of like very strong expectations of what you're meant to do and what you're not meant to do as kind of a girl who went to one of these schools often created lots of problems for me and my friends in the long term um in terms of like not fully you know like for example like massive taboos around sex for example meant we never had open conversations about consent and that sort of thing and that left us very vulnerable when we went to an all-girls school to then go out on weekends and the only time we ever saw boys was when alcohol was involved on kind of like a Saturday night um meant that it was kind of a recipe for disaster overall in terms of the well-being and safety of yeah I think a lot of the girls at the school do you wish, looking back, you got to go to a mixed school? Just as a little question to throw in there. Yeah. I, Do you think hard. it would have made a difference? I don't know. There's Obviously, there's rape culture in every single school Absolutely. in Australia. Um, it's a hard question. So my primary school was um, co-ed. co-ed. And then um, when I moved to Kambala when I was older, um, I don't know, because there's so many benefits to just being around girls and women. It can be, like, very empowering, and I really love that experience. And there's lots of benefits in terms of, you know, not caring what you look like when you go to school every day and blah, 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 blah. But um, I think that having a social life that was more, um, yeah, mixed in with boys would have been better. And also I think the main thing that would have been different was having 
the fact that the boys that I would have been hanging out with would be boys that were used to hanging out with girls mm. and not just always seeing them as kind of like the opposite sex would have been the most beneficial. Yeah, coming from like Northern Beaches, kind of the other side of the bridge to you guys, even like the, not rumours, but like the kind of image we painted in our head or me personally of like kind of the private schools over on the eastern suburbs of like the boys and girls private schools and you hear of like these dances and yeah like I even kind of think back to my school life and remember hearing like it used to just be like you guys would have like big school dances and it would just be this like shit storm for bad culture when it comes to the sort of things that we're going to talk about today when it comes to consent and yeah I think there needs to be a big shake up in that ideation really of what it is to like have young boys and girls together because it is such a interesting scenario that you guys seem to always get put in it's like a few school dances each term and it's like oh we'll go to that dance we'll go to that dance and like you said the only times that you are mixing at a young age with the opposite sex is in an environment that generally through obviously media and movies that we watch is promoted for people to be engaging in you know what I mean yeah and it like literally used to turn into like competitions like and, and both like the boys and girls were half in like oh, how many people can you get with tonight or like how many girls can you finger tonight and it's just like when you think about the fact that that's the intention for the night obviously coercion is going to be embedded in the way that people are going about their days and nights because it's there's like peer pressure mm. one-on-one pressure all these other factors coming into account um yeah it's when I like think back and reflect, I almost laugh because of how ridiculous like it used to be. Oh, I remember, I same thing. I remember when I was at school, there used to be these like. I went to a co-ed school, but I I, ne- I actually remember I never went to one, and I was bummed that I didn't. Looking uh, like at the time, because I was always away for surf comps, but there was these parties called like bounce or something, and it was like an under 18s high school party. Oh yeah, they used to have like lab or something. In the yeah, lounge. and it would, oh, yeah. used to be you come back to school and it'd be like, oh, I hooked up with six chicks, or like yeah. oh, I hooked up with, and it was a competition. And I like look back at it now, and I'm like. Yeah, it's so... It's a pretty weird thing to do. Yeah, super weird. (laughs) But I guess it was just accepted back then through school. That's kind of the way that we've all been conditioned and the way that we've all been... The the thing that we've been growing up in. But I think it's important now that we are changing and we're going to talk about that because you've made some massive impacts. When did you realise we had a bit of a problem with consent? What was the catalyst for you to be like, hey, there's a fair bit of a problem here because you obviously it sounded like you were somewhat aware of it but it would have taken a bit of reflection post school to actually see it properly I think yeah for sure I feel like there were like kind of a few main catalyst moments so the first time I was ever like oh we have a problem with consent is when I got consent education I was in year 10 um and like the same moment that I got consent education was also the same moment that I found out that I had been raped because I didn't realize that that was like I just had this very stereotypical idea in my head of what sexual assault and rape look and rape look like Mm. being kind of like oh you're walking home alone at night and someone grabs you and it's a very painful experience and it's scary and they're a stranger and you're screaming and because my situation didn't fit that category I never thought to like connect those dots um and that was also the time where like lots of my friends also realized that um, they had been sexually assaulted. And it was like a really unique situation where I remember so clearly going to lunch after and us all like saying how many years of jail the guys could get for the things they did to us, um, which is quite a funny way to look at it now that I'm reflecting because I now know that the criminal justice system doesn't give justice to victims of sexual assault. And it's like quite laughable to think that, you know, 
that any of these guys would have ever been held accountable to the maximum sentence. But anyway, we were sitting there being like, seven years, 14 years, like 21 years. Um, and we didn't have to, we didn't, none of us had to tell each other the stories of our sexual assault. We all knew what they were because we'd all spoken about them before, we'd gossiped about them before, we'd talked about them before. We just never had the language to relate to that. And me and two of my best friends went to um, one of the heads of our school a few days later and was just like that was amazing but like you needed to give that to us earlier and we're basically told like all these sort of things happen to you girls because you're advanced for the year and um not everyone gets themselves in the same situations that you get yourselves into so (laughs) that's um that's why this is relevant to you but it would be really jarring content for you for other girls in the grade so like massive victim blaming like but like very not okay um but we were like okay whatever and then left I guess that's when I realized that there was a problem with an understanding of consent because I had a first-hand experience of being like learning what it meant just completely changed my perception of the way that I interact with people and the way my friends interact with each other and are being interacted with and then other times were um yeah there was like when I actually collected the first few testimonies I was like away for the weekend with my friends um we all went to different schools in Sydney's eastern suburbs and were like kind of friends in like the big social circle when we were young but not really and I got in closer and we started like rattling off stories of sexual assault. And it was just like, we, these are all people we knew, both boys and girls. And we just had like unlimited stories again, kind of in like the realm of gossip. But like what we were describing was just like blatant rape. And we were saying, this is so messed up that this is sexual assault and rape. And we still socialize with all these boys and everyone knows that happened and blah, blah, blah. Um, and in that moment I then like told my story of sexual assault and like named my perpetrator because I was with my friends and um one of my friends was like oh that that didn't happen to you that happened to like this other girl that we're mutual friends with and I was like no definitely me and then um realized that he'd done the same thing to another friend of mine like a year later and that was when I was like I need to do something about this and that's when I started collecting testimonies but I still didn't take it to social media for another almost year after um and then once it yeah went to social media it just like took off massively yeah and it's it's good on you for standing up and actually creating these conversations in a safe space for other young women to for one talk about it because I feel like talking about it and not holding it in is so important and so many people shield that trauma and feel so scared to Mm. share it and it is great that there is like the big me too movement and all of this But I think the main thing that's super important is to actually get educated. So I wanted to use today as a bit of a platform for you because you've obviously done so much research and have heard so many stories now. Can we kind of go through a few, not stories, or maybe yeah, we'll go through some stories of things that maybe you didn't realize, like you were saying the same, you didn't realize these things were sexual assault because sexual assault is so much more than just physical things. Mm do you want to go through kind of a few of the main ones that people might not be aware of? Because I think it's a really good opportunity being International Women's Day and having you here to... (laughs) Sorry about the truck. (laughs) And having you here to explain, yeah, some of the things maybe that we're not aware of because it sounds like you weren't aware either and I'm sure myself and the listeners wouldn't be aware of so many things that are deemed to be... to have such a terrible effect on young women or women or women. Yeah, so... I feel like, um, so also for context for people listening that um, don't know what happened, when I say I started collecting testimonies, I asked people to send me testimonies of um, sexual assaults that happened to them during school, naming perpetrator and victim 
school and year but not individual people and then alongside that um I had a petition demanding adequate consent education in Australia to kind of yeah I guess juxtapose um yeah solution and problem and um I read a lot of these testimonies because I had to check them for defamation before I published them because technically I was the publisher not the person submitting them because they're anonymous and um through like reading thousands of this these I feel like the things that stuck out to me the most were that people don't understand is number one um like forced oral sex is rape I feel like people think that rape can only be something that is like you know penis in vagina and that's like kind of more conventional type of sex but like digital penetration oral penetration any sort of penetration um every state and territory has different laws around what sexual assault and what rape is and blah 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 but as a general rule that is and if we're speaking outside of the context of the law and just speaking in terms of ethics like that counts as rape and I feel like people don't understand that um and I think being forced to perform oral sex is kind of quite a normal teen experience in those kind of like early years of experimenting and I don't think people realize that that actually counts as an act of sexual violence um next thing I would say is people don't realize sexual coercion counts as sexual assault so people think that um, yeah, as you said before, sexual assault can only be done like physically, but sexually assault, sexual assault can occur with just words. So doing things like saying, like, oh, I'll break up with you if you don't do this with me. Like, oh, please, you're giving me blue balls. Like, it's really mean if you don't finish me off. Saying, um, you did this to my friend last weekend. Why can't you do it to me now? Um, why did you come upstairs with me? Like, if you don't want to do this with me, all those sort of things. Mm. Um, counts as coercion and is like a form of pressure that then um, means that the final act is sexual assault because consent a yes is only a yes if it's freely given Mm. um and yeah if there's verbal pressure there then it sometimes can't be freely given um the next thing i would say is that i feel like there's a again because of this very like stereotypical perception of what a rapist is in our society i don't think um people realize that people that like intimate partners people you've been with for long periods of time can actually like sexually assault or rape you so you know even if you've been with someone for two years and then one night you come home and you're really drunk and you're passed out in bed that doesn't give a default yes to your body um your consent needs to be like renewed and freely given every single time and of course it doesn't need to be a verbal agreement every single time if you've been um you know seeing someone for like a period of time or whatever you can pick up on these sort of things with like body language and like enthusiasm and eye contact and all these sort of things but if someone's unconscious, they can't give consent whether you've had sex with them before or not, no matter how many times you've had sex with them before or not. Um, other things that I feel aren't very well understood is the trauma responses to sex, which I think can, sorry, sexual assault, which I think can lead to victim blaming. So, um, you know, like fight and flight mode. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like those like quite commonly understood like ideas of in our society. And then, more recently people have started acknowledging freeze as kind of like a third trauma response and like you just like freeze up in a situation and this is especially common in um sexual assault situations because it's like not very like feasible to think about like running or fighting someone off especially if it's a heterosexual encounter and there's a man and a woman because generally speaking he'll probably be larger than her Mm. um and one a lot of our 
legislation around sexual assault and consent in Australia does not account for freeze because we kind of go under this banner of no means no and that's often how consent is taught to people um, but we actually need to shift it to like only yes means yes because there's lots of situations where people will feel unsafe and freeze and not be able to actually say the word no um, which can then also lead to confusion in um, you know potential perpetrators who are lacking empathy in a situation and kind of yeah, go ahead without a yes not knowing that they need that um and then the fourth trauma response which I think is really interesting and was like so game-changing when I understood what it meant and I read it like time and time again reading testimonies and I just like wish I could like contact all of these girls individually and explain to them what had happened is um it's called fawning and it's a trauma response that has its roots in PTSD but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have experienced any sort of previous trauma in um in order to like exhibit this trauma response, but basically it's being over nice to survive an ordeal. So like lots of people who grew up in households where they feel like they have to like walk on eggshells or like constantly kind of like moderate their behavior or like make people around them feel comfortable um, are more inclined to fawn. And I read it like time and time again when like people would be like, oh, I let him drive me home. Um, so my friends didn't believe me that it was rape or like, so it's kind of and also people being like oh I just gave him head because I didn't want him to rape me um and all these sort of things so it's kind of acting like everything's okay to survive the situation get out of it safe healthy and alive because when your human instincts kicked in kick in they're not they don't they're not worried about you getting sexually assaulted or not they're worried about you being alive or not and Mm. even though you know it's very unlikely the person in front of you will be someone who would actually kill you your body doesn't know that and it reacts in that way and there's like the um I don't know if you saw like the Jack DeBellin rape case yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like oh that pissed me off so much because one of the like biggest defenses was um the victim like took a photo smiling with him and the other guy after the sexual assault and like that was like used to be oh she's fine and it's like, what, like a 19-year-old girl, or like she was really young, gets raped by two professional rugby players and she's meant to like, what, fight them off or like kick and scream? Yeah. Like what? No, no, she just needs to get home and get out of that situation. Um, and I feel like not understanding fawning leads to lots of self-doubt in individuals. Also leads to lots of victim blaming when you like confide in friends to be like, oh, why'd you let him drive you home? Why'd you get breakfast with him the next morning? Why'd you do all these things? Um, but yeah, understanding that ultimately the problem is the fact that someone was put in a position where their like natural human instincts kicked in mm. um, because they felt they were stressed and they had to like act to survive. Um, yeah. So I guess those are like the main, there's lots, there's yeah. lots I can come on and say, but yeah, those are the main ones. If you have any questions about that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And like, I mean, I just learned a lot. I'm sure other people did as well. The fawning one is super interesting because I feel like it's got to be so hard around legislation around, laws with it because it's, it's such it just sounds like a he said she said kind of situation every time and like mm. I can imagine sometimes a guy doesn't even really know they're in the wrong because they just see you know what I mean the person they're with yeah. trying to so it's like it's a yeah and tough I one also want to emphasize that I feel like in the vast majority of the testimonies I've read I don't think the guy knew they were in the wrong mm. and like pretty much all of them it was a, the perpetrator there was a few where the perpetrator wasn't um, a man, but pretty much all of them, whether the victim was a man or woman or another gender or perpetrators were men. And like, I, yeah, it's, 
I truly don't think they knew. I think that we've normalised this behaviour. I think we've normalised pushing someone's head down in teen years. I think we've, like, normalised coercion as, like, a means of, mm. like, all of this stuff. And, yeah, exactly. That's why, like, it's such a... Yeah, if someone fawns, it's a very complicated situation in terms of the criminal justice system. And that's why I think it's so important for chats like this and education around it because I think that instead of... Obviously, it's super important to point fingers at perpetrators and make sure they're dealt with through the legal system like they should be. But for those cases where they are quite grey and they are, like you said, the, the, the perpetrator doesn't even know they're in the wrong or wouldn't even be aware... I think once we can sort of build humility and build like accountability around that, it comes back to education. And that's why you're really spearheading this movement. And I think it's really special the way that you've taken on a pretty massive role. And I'm really excited to get to hear a bit more on how people can get involved and help out. So thank you so much for one, for educating and sharing a few of those topics and getting a better understanding. Cause I know I learned some stuff just then that I'm going to definitely take on board because like you said there's obviously times in our life and especially being like a young privileged white male in Australia I've been put in situations and I'm sure I've put people in situations where they've been uncomfortable without even knowing based on just like you said the culture that we've grown up in it's yeah I think it comes back to awareness and sort of humility and being like you know what the best way to change is to be aware of what's going Mm. on and educate ourselves in these topics so let's move on to the stage where you started to like, let's say, make a difference. It all started with some Instagram polls. Do you want to explain that, the reason behind it? And then, yeah, we'll move into the next part of the journey. Uh, so I posted an Instagram poll asking, have you or has anyone close to you ever been sexually assaulted by someone who went to a single sex school in Sydney? Um and that was like very specific obviously but it was also because it was directly to my Instagram following who at the time was only my friends so like pretty much everyone on it went to single sex schools in Sydney um and yeah it was just an Instagram poll up for 24 hours and 204 people said yes which was I think 73 or 74 percent of respondents um and then I asked if you went to an all-boys school in Sydney do you think one of your friends has ever sexually assaulted someone and I can't actually remember what the stats was, but, like, significantly lower, um, the people who said yes to that, obviously. Um, and I guess trying to, I guess, yeah, raise awareness in the discrepancies and, like, that understanding. Um, and then called for testimonies, and then they kind of, like, came in, like, really slowly at first, and then it was just, like, fucking, like, like, hundred, like, like, just so many at once. And I got to like 6,500 in like a couple of weeks and then I just had to like stop because it was just like too many. Um, I wish I could have kept going. I feel like there would be so many more, but mm. it just, um, yeah, it just got to a stage where that was kind of all that could be done. <laughs> yes. It's, I mean, it's so sad and such a horrible thing to have happened to so many young women in the country going to schools, you know, in Sydney pretty much just like, and that's, to think that you've got yeah close to six and a half thousand yeah. testimonies and and had to stop. What was that next stage? Because you now run a thing called Teachers Consent. Do you want to teach us a little bit about that and then that next stage? Because as far as I'm aware, you created this amazing movement. You started to get a lot of signatures, but to actually make change and to actually implement change is that next step. It's all well and good to raise a bit of awareness, which a lot of people do. A lot of activists do. And that's amazing, but for stuff to actually change, we need tangible outcomes. 
what was that next stage for you like in bringing in teachers consent and pushing um, change makers and policy makers? So what happened shortly after um, the Instagram post, so originally I had the petition on like a Google doc or something that like anyone could edit, which is so dumb. But anyway, and then um, it started getting like lots of people on at once. I was like, oh shit, I should like probably upgrade this. And then I upgraded it to Google Forms. And then it was like the back end was like crashing because there were just so many like submissions coming through at once. And then um, my friend um, Jack Pascoe, shout out to him, um, built a website over um, a weekend for me. Um, and yeah, so then suddenly within a few days we had this like website with a platform that could like take in, in mass testimonies and blah, blah, blah. And the count thing would just like go up individually. Mm. Um, or like automatically, sorry. And, um, yeah. So then because testimonies were coming in from all over Australia at this point, um, I changed the, like, I widened the scope from Sydney single sex schools to, Australia-wide curriculum reform. So the petition now asked for um, mandatory consent education to be taught in Australian schools, um, all Australian schools, and from a young age and in a holistic way. And holistic means bringing in concepts such as power and gender and coercion and, like, trying to actually explain, like, the reality of the kind of, like, playing field that we're mm. all on in this. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it took, like, lots of meetings with politicians and, like, I remember, like, the first meeting with a politician I had was, like, my local MP and I was, like, so nervous and, like, got up early and, like, did my makeup and, like, <laughs> tried to, like, be, like, very professional and, like, a blazer and then now it's literally just, like, I'm just, like, oh, hey, Dave, <laughs> like, if I see him around and it's just, like, very chill. Um, and I think, yeah, it just, like, kind of built up and up and up until, yeah, eventually speaking to ministers of education from around the country. Um, I met with the prime minister a few weeks ago. Um, and yeah, just the whole time having this very specific demand for consent education to be made mandatory in Australia, um, work with the Australian curriculum and reporting authority to figure out what this curriculum would look like. Cause also the Australian curriculum can only be updated once every five years. So it was kind of like, this is either happening now or it's not happening for five years. Um, and yeah, the end result basically thanks to thousands of people who signed the petition and thousands of people who wrote the most like intimate moments of their lives online on a public platform for the greater good meant that yeah during 2023 every Australian school is expected to implement consent education from as young as five years old wow good on you it's so powerful <laughs> to know like how does that make you feel that's got to make you feel like personally knowing that I mean not single-handedly because I do want to talk to you about the sort of help that you had to give some light to the amazing people I'm sure that have helped you on this journey because I know the legwork that comes with managing something like this with my own small mental health thing Mm -hmm. what how does that make you feel knowing once you got that what did you get were you in the room when they did the when they were passing the bill at all um so I was in the room or I was in the zoom was it in Australia parliament or it was a zoom but it was um it involves so every single minister of education from every state and territory and federal wow um, had to unanimously Because all the state governments run the education systems in their states. Yeah, exactly. And the federal governments for the independent. Yeah. Um, and for the states to, like, make it off there. So it's kind of like the blueprint. Yeah. And then the states, like, go above and beyond um, with it. But, yeah, I was in the Zoom um, and I, like, presented to them on the importance of implementing this new curriculum, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then... Um, but when they, they announced it in certain estimates, when they, like, committed to it fully, so I wasn't... <laughs> uh, how'd that make you feel knowing that 
not single-handedly, but your movement has created something that is going to literally change the way the school system educates around something that is obviously mm-hmm. such an important topic. And knowing that you've probably single-handedly stopped sexual assault in thousands and thousands of women moving forward in Australia. Uh, <laughs> Do you reflect on that much? I feel like I haven't had a chance to reflect yet. I think I will reflect soon. I'll probably cry when I do Write probably reflect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to do that. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just like overwhelmed with thankfulness, I guess, because as you said, like so many people were involved in this. Like I actually couldn't even like name them all, or, like conceptualize them all because like all the way from all the petition signatures to just the amount of people who like randomly doing like one little bit of work or like connecting me to someone or like whatever is just like so overwhelming but um I mean it's pretty cool and it's pretty freaking cool and it's like I think the climate going on in Australia right now with so much youth activism and lots of focus on demolishing gender-based violence and all that sort of stuff I just feel like it's a massive win to be like oh everyone used to always pay us out for just like sharing random Instagram graphics but like here we are with full-on policy change forever Mm. um because like tens of thousands of people shared Instagram graphics. Yeah. And it's so cool seeing that Instagram can make this change. And you're on my list as well now. I'm friends with James Griffin, who's the environment minister for New South Wales. And I was in parliament with, parliament with him a few weeks back with another friend of mine, Sam Fricker, who's a sustainability, one of my ambassadors. And I was talking to him about like, oh, we need like a youth advisory board. And he's like, there is one, but you got to apply and you got to do this. And I'm like, absolutely taking nothing away from the people who do all this application and get to those young power points of position. But I Mm. think now with the world in social media, it's so important for people like you, like my friend, Sam, who's like a massive TikToker, but he's also about sustainability. You're all about consent and education, my wellbeing. Like I want to put together like a little youth advisory board (laughs) of like that we can build some serious traction in so many different topics when it comes to schooling. I did a podcast with um, a guy called Byron Dempsey yesterday. It'll actually come out on Thursday for anyone listening right now. And his whole thing is around like that the school system's flawed, that we didn't get taught a lot of things at school. So I will go into talking to you about how you think they're going to be able to pull off this education because that's the next step. Because I actually spoke to him about this yesterday because I told him I was going to chat to you and he was like, there is obviously change and we're aware that we're missing the point with a lot of schooling when it comes to... The first one that comes up a lot is with finance and money management. I feel like we're so undereducated with that. Obviously, well-being. That's why I'm so passionate about what I'm doing. I learned so much myself and didn't learn any of it really from school. Consent, obviously an absolute huge one. Politics, like I'm sure by now learning and getting involved in politics, it's yeah. I don't know how educated you were around it, but no. I have no uh, idea. I literally, yeah. Like the other day there was like this survey thing that came out and they were like, oh yeah, like only... I can't remember how many, but like a really low amount of Australians know that like the Senate's red and the House of Representatives green. And I was like, I'm really surprised how many people blue. know that. Yeah, like, <laughs> literally, I was like there the other day and I'm like, no idea. <laughs> oh yeah. So I think they're yeah. like some topics that we really do yeah. need to change. There's really interesting that you touched on that the curriculum only changes once every five years. Mm. What sort of ideas do you have around, obviously you've made the big impact with consent, but mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing is going to be educating the teachers to educate this correctly because that's something that it's all well and good to pass this bill and to let the policymakers look like they're trying to make change. Mm. But for the change to actually happen and to be implemented and to change cultures, another massive shift. What sort of education do you think 
well, not what sort of education, but do you think the teachers are going to be able to pull it off in an effective mm. and engaging way? Because there is sexual education at school and it's almost everyone laughs about it. It's like putting a condom on a banana and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas it's such a more intricate topic than just yeah. what we kind of think sex is from a young age. How do we change that stigma and what sort of education do you think? The t- do you think the teachers are going to be able to pull it off? I hope the teachers can pull it off. I think over time, eventually, there's obviously going to be, like, struggles. I'm really hoping that, um, you know, especially with this upcoming election, I'm hoping that conversations about implementation of this adequately and, like, funding to do so and, like... Because everyone knows it's an issue. Like, it's no Mm. surprise. No one's there being like, oh, this is revolutionary. We're talking about teacher training and consent education. It's just, like, prioritise it and fund it because Mm. it's happening, so do it well. Um, But... I also have, like, a lot of hope given that there's such, like, the new generation of teachers going through and there's teachers teaching is a very gendered profession. So, you know, given that a lot of young women will be the ones delivering this content a few years from now or now, I think that's quite, like, that's, you know, quite hopeful. But it's also kind of scary because also, like, this falls in the PDHP syllabus and mm. a lot of PDHP teachers, uh, you know, men or even if it's like whatever it is and it's really strange that a lot of people delivering this content will have either been like it's a very good chance they've been victims or perpetrators of sexual assault themselves Mm. and they'll be kind of potentially learning this content the first time themselves because they didn't like when they went through the Australian school system it wasn't part of it um which I think is pretty wild but I mean my ideal would be that in order to become a registered teacher in Australia or accredited whatever it's called you had to do a like module at uni on like promoting respectful relationships, not just in the classroom, not just like in terms of like delivering consent education material, but also how to promote a healthy culture in the playground. Like how to, mm. like I remember my brother telling me like when he was in like year seven or whatever, and he like wrote a list of like the hottest girls at like the neighboring school or whatever. He was like, instead of that being like confiscated off me, I should have had a conversation with someone mm. about what was wrong with that kind of thing. So I feel like equipping teachers to like when correcting behaviors and sort of things like that not just like being preventative of things and making it something that you can't do around teachers but instead being transformative and understanding like why it's actually something you don't want to inherently do mm. um and then, yeah that sort of way so yeah it, it will be really interesting to see how this is properly implemented and i think also we need to just continue having like national conversation about this so that the type of conversation and um like things that students are also hearing at home correlates to what they're hearing in the classroom. Yeah, because obviously looking at politics right now, it's a bit of a shit show in Australian politics from the way they're dealing with a lot of things. Mm. But how they're dealing with this topic and consent and with obviously the Christian Porter accusations, Brittany Higgins, what's your take on that? Because that's kind of, I feel like looking from the outside in, I'm sure you understand it probably a bit better than me. I'm sure you've probably met with a bunch of these incredibly strong women What's your take on that? How do we change in politics? Because it, like you said, it doesn't just start from the classroom and education. Mm. When we've got our role models and we've got the leaders of our country brushing stuff aside, using derogatory, derogatory terms and making it looks like still women super uncomfortable yeah. to come out to share their story. How do you think we shift that culture in politics now that you've been in there a few times? It's a tough one. I mean, you met Scott Morrison the other day. What was that like? Um, I got so many questions. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah, I didn't really leave that one open ended. Um, Just how do we make change in politics to start? Well, it's very it's hard. hard. It's really hard because, um, and I just wrote my dissertation on this, so I have a lot to say in this regard. Yeah. But we have like a, 
the so I did my dissertation on like elite schooling in Australia and like one of like the main like comments on it was the fact that our policymakers, decision makers, CEOs, high like people who run our country who are in like high policy and decision making positions and have lots of influence pretty much come from these schools, like so disproportionately mm. so. And we create these really problematic cultures in these schools that especially in um all boys schools, you know, there's lots of like like being you know, like repressing emotions and like being apathetic towards marginalized groups is almost like ingrained in the way that like you're kind of socialized in that situation. And then we go and take like a disproportionate amount of those people and make them policy leaders and then wonder why our international development policies or our refugee policies or our policies around, um, you know, women and people of color and all these things are, you know, not doing enough. And it's really hard because yeah, it's changing a culture and I don't know. I think and when I met with Scott Morrison, what I like tried to communicate the most is like just being like, this isn't like a sexual assault is not an anomaly. It's mm. just we have such a like strict view on what it is in our country. And we have such a strict way that we believe we have to deal with it. And, you know, like it, it's it's almost like so extreme, extremely dramatized in so many ways that so many people are too scared to say anything about it. Therefore, we think it doesn't happen as often as it does. Mm. but like in reality if every single rapist in australia was suddenly held to account right now our whole country would collapse and like i really want to like emphasize that point that there's like rapists in like all parts of our mm. like everywhere when you think about how many women have been sexually assaulted like it's not the same person doing this to everyone and there's lots of men who have been sexually assaulted um as well and like it's yeah like the statistics are like when you actually think about it and you think about like oh okay i have five friends that means one of them's been raped like that's pretty Terrible. crazy. That's also from the age of 15, um, which means, like, for example, I'm not included in that statistic because I was yeah, 13. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do at the moment with, like, a national survey um, because we have, like, a massive gap in data between what sexual assault looks like in those kind of early teen years because we only have information about child sexual abuse and then over the age of 15. But it's like, well, actually, when a lot of children are experimenting with sex for the first time is those early teen years, and that's when they're most vulnerable to all of these yeah forces um anyway i kind of got sidetracked from your question no, no. basically i don't know it's i think it's important i kind of wanted to touch on so you're doing a dissertation what are you studying where there's i didn't really even get to touch on that part of your journey <laughs> we're just going straight into all the amazing um, activism work you're doing about where what are you studying where are you yeah. living i know it's an interesting scenario right now yes so we spoke about this before we started recording but I'm, i so i did all of this work from london as well so it was all like virtual the whole time um I've graduated. Oh, I haven't graduated. I've finished now. I'm graduating in a few months. But um, I did a master's in gender education and international development at UCL in London. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was really fun. Good on you. Um, and yeah, that's where I learned so much. And that's when I learned about sexual coercion for the first time. I like fully read a definition of it and like you know, read all these examples and like an academic paper and like blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is fucking bullshit that I had to do three degrees to find out what sexual coercion was when this is something that I should have known when I was 13 years old. Mm. And like, just kind of realizing, just being like, oh my God, how could we possibly have been this failed that like, I had to literally like study gender in order to like find out about this. And when it's like something that should just be like spoken about so widely. Yeah, I think like we said, like I touched on before, there's so many topics that need to be in the curriculum that aren't mm. that and there's so many that are in there that are all well and good but it's like are we setting up people for the rest of their life or are we just trying to get them through the schooling system yeah we're just trying to get them into jobs <laughs> yeah seriously yeah you have got some really nice recognition from 
what you've been doing, the Mary Claire stuff. Do you want to tell us about that? Because I, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> How no. cool? Is it? Oh, what, what was it? You got Woman of the Year in... Uh, women of the women Year. Women of so the Year. Among, I think, eight or nine other very amazing women. It's very honoured to be in that list. Um, yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it? They did a story on, obviously, all the work you've done. Was that yeah. just a good platform to get to share your story? Because I think yeah. it's... So important that young people try and make some change. Touching on quickly, because you said there is so much, like you said, if we just clicked our finger and like a bit of end game, everyone who's sexually assaulted someone disappeared. It would make the country collapse. But have you heard of the platform She's a Crowd? Yeah. You have? Is that, I think I've seen it on TikTok. Is that yeah. where you like drop yeah. a pin on yeah. the... Yeah. And that's super confronting. Last um, Thursday's episode of my podcast, Stephanie Steele, you'll have to have a listen. I'll have to link you up with her because she's doing yeah, some cool stuff. Um, with like tech and then also Blue Ribbon, like domestic violence. She grew up in domestic violence and is trying to make a difference in that. And same thing with consent. Just change the language and change the understanding that domestic violence just isn't physical violence. Yeah. Same thing with sexual assault. It isn't just penetration, sexual assault. Like we kind of get stigmatized through movies, through media, through mm. the language we get taught at school. I think, yeah, so She's a Crowd's a really interesting app because that gives us a good indication on how bad the situation we have is. We'll have to, when we finish this chat, we'll get it yeah. up on the thing. I actually haven't got to look super into it just yet, but the brief kind of few times I have looked, it's like super confronting how many locations there are, but it is a great resource for women out there for one to create a data point yeah. and it can be all anonymous, but it's also a good way if they look and they see there's hotspots of sexual assault, whether it be cat calling, whether it be the same week, somebody every single day, the same sort of people are doing the same thing. It gives people the opportunity, which we shouldn't have to, but avoid yeah. certain situations. Mm. But also gives like, oh, there's people reporting this hotspot all the time. Maybe we can put more security there. Maybe we can put more things. So I think like tangible ways to actually implement change is so important. Yeah. What's next for you? Um, I'm intrigued to hear the rest of your story. We kind of went like a little bit of your start of your story. Now you've got into this. So now you're finishing your um, degree. Yeah. Coming back to Oz. Yes. So I'm going to go to London for a little bit have some loose ends, have some fun, um, do some work from over there and then moving to back to Australia in September. And then um, uh, I've taken a role at the Australia Institute, which is like a think tank, um, like a policy think tank. And yeah, I'm going to be opening a centre for sex and gender equality there um, and then like continue to like kind of broaden the scope because I feel like the type of sexual assault that I tried to give light to is ultimately just like gender-based violence. It's not explicit acts of violence like it's very much like people like perpetrating this sort of stuff because it's like normal to them because of our like perception mm, like gaslighting and stuff like there's so many like yeah things that make people uncomfortable make people deal with trauma yeah and so many people aren't aware they're doing it it's like yeah and also just more like for example like with so many testimonies i've read like i reckon so many people were just like you know mimicking things they'd seen in pornography for example Whereas it's not as if they're like trying to actively hurt someone. Mm. Um, so I very much see it as kind of like a more like structural issue. And then, yes, yeah, so I want to like keep and go work on that and work on really interested in working on like non-transferable paternity leave so that like um, like men need to stay home with babies more or have the opportunity to stay home with babies more. I love that. I had one more question, but I can't remember where the thing was. That was another little activation that you were doing last year. I, I had it written down somewhere. I can't find it. Um, 
anyway. Is this the police thing? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this was kind of off brand for me because I try to focus on just prevention, but to kind of like give light to the fact that like, this is a really like kind of like the she's the crap thing. Like that. This is a really big issue. Um, I like partnered with New South Wales police and like ran a campaign giving, um, called operation vest that basically like That's it, operation vest. Yeah. That basically like, um, let people know in mass about, um, the New South Wales police alternative reporting option which is ba- essentially you just fill out your own police form, um, yeah. which is not great, but it's like a really good start and it's anonymous and you can put it there and nothing gets done. So you can call back on it later. So you kind of get rid of all that victim blaming stuff of being like, you know, like so often people are like, oh, you're only reporting them because they're now in a position of power. Whereas it's like, well, no, actually I reported them because the fact that they're in a position of power, like mm. has set me over the edge to do that. Um, so like that sort of thing. And then, you can like put up, you can choose to leave your number if your person's a repeat offender and the police can like call you and like put you in touch with like other people who have also said they're repeat offenders. Um, but yeah. And so the month that was introduced, there was, um, uh, New South Wales wide, I think it was 59% Sydney wide. It was 61% and Eastern suburbs and Northern beaches where, sorry, not Northern beaches, North Sydney, where like most of, um, like the testimonies came from. 69% increase month on month reportings of sexual assault, which is like unprecedented wow. um, since like Australia started recording this stuff. And it just shows like we so desperately want and need avenues outside of the criminal justice system to hold people accountable to, because it's just, it just doesn't work for mm. this type of sexual assault. And it just doesn't work for people in like a human centered way. Yeah. I think it's so important. Like you said, coming at this, like, you're really special. I love the way that you go about this, that you're going about it in a way of let's turn it into an education thing. Like let's make it a tangible way to actually make improvement, not a like pointing out this person, pointing out this person, which happens so often. Mm. And I think it's a really mature and really special way that you have approached this and it's going to actually make some really positive impact. And I'm excited to see what sort of education they do bring in around this. Mm. I think it's going to be interesting and I think it's so important, but I think potentially it might have to be like outside yeah. trained people which yeah. is important and there should be funding for that because yeah. at the end of the day it's preventative stuff same with a lot of the well-being stuff by implementing this education it's actually bringing the overall cost for the government down when it comes to the um, justice system when it comes to the medical system these are all things that end up copying mental the health as well. mental health like there's yeah. so many there's places that really from sexual assault absolutely the trauma that comes from it is unbelievable yeah um what i do kind of want to end on and i just want to obviously give you as much opportunity to advocate for ways that people can get in touch and maybe if they want to get involved because i think it's really important for young people whether it's men women or anyone to be able to have a voice and to be able to have the courage to stand up and make some change what sort of advice do you have for someone who whether it be in consent, whether it be in any of their own, like I know very well with mental health, like what sort of advice do you have to give to young people to stand up and create a bit of noise in an area that they want to? Yeah, I guess that, I mean, like obviously the classic, like, oh, just do it. Like, you know, just post on Instagram, just like email your MP, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like the most powerful thing out of all of this and the reason so much change has happened is 
because people have just been like willing to have conversations that like before were taboo. I mean, it's the exact same thing with mental health, right? Mm. Like all of these things in kind of our world that disadvantage us or like oppress us, like whatever you want to call it, like, you know, mental health, sexual assault, blah, blah, blah. They, the reason they thrive so widely is because we're not talking about them and there's like a taboo around the situation. And like, I don't know. So I feel like just, I guess, encouraging people to have conversations, stand up to the microaggressions, like stand up to the cat calls, stand up to the, um, you know, throw away like comments, stand up to the rape jokes. Like those are the things that normalize a society, which like makes people think it's okay to sexually assault someone without knowing it's sexual assault and what makes it so that someone's a victim of sexual assault without ever like standing up for themselves about that. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure so many people have listened to this podcast and seen it as a very educational, probably very confronting and also a way that they can actually make some changes. Hopefully being International mm-hmm. Women's Day, the day this comes out, it gives people a place to come and get educated rather than just put up their Instagram tile and say they care about women, mm. what you're doing and conversations, like you said, just like this, I think of the way forward. And that's why I think having like open conversations that are confronting and that might feel a bit uncomfortable are so important. And the more we have them, the easier they become, I think. Mm. And yeah, I know you're obviously doing so much great stuff in this area. And from me and the whole Good Humans audience, I'm very mm-hmm. grateful to have this chat with you. Where can people get in contact with you or where can people find you on socials? I'll put it all in the show notes, but maybe. Um, the Teacher's Consent Instagram is just at Teacher's Consent. Yeah. And we post, um, I think it's really amazing, consent education. Um, it's very, like, holistic and specific and, like, relevant to young people, I feel. So mm. definitely check that out. Um, and then, yeah, my personal Instagram's Chanel C. Chanel yeah. C. And I post – I. Yeah, post on both, but mainly more teachers' consent, so I'd recommend following that one. Yeah, I've um, checked that out a fair bit the last couple of days, and it's really <laughs> a, a massive eye-opener for me, to be honest. I mean, I've grown up in professional sort of surf culture, absolutely never excuses, but some of the stuff that I read was confronting and very, yeah, eye-opening for me to be like, you know what, there's probably been situations that I've put people in that, looking back, what made them uncomfortable and mm. were very gray areas so it's been super educational for me to build that accountability around areas like consent and having that humility to be like you know what maybe I have been wrong at times and the best way forward is to get educated and that's why it's so special what you're doing that kids at schools are now going to have this education from earlier and I think it's so important that people listening to this podcast go over to teachers consent read some of the information because it is so important and I think it is the way forward it's not about blaming it's not about pointing fingers Mm. that's another step backwards I think getting educated and taking responsibility for your own education around these areas is so so important last question I like to ask everyone on this podcast and I don't think you've probably had an episode before because we only met like two days ago (laughs) so it's gonna stump you but the last question I ask everyone is what does being a good human mean to Chanel Contos hard one I think it's just all about empathy love that yeah I feel like if you're you have a focus on how the people around you or the person in front of you or whoever you're interacting with is feeling then like you can't really go wrong if you care about that love that absolutely beautiful (laughs) answer this it gets people pretty tongue-tied usually and gets them a bit stuck but that was maybe one of my favorite answers and it's such an important trait and I'm um yeah so thrilled to have this conversation with you I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it you should be so proud of the work you've done I know how much work and effort it takes and it's very selfless work because obviously once you get the recognition but 
it sounds like, you know what I mean? Once you get the recognition, people are like, oh, well done. Like, mm. looks like an overnight thing. But I understand the countless hours that goes in behind the scenes, the confront, the cr- confrontation, the confrontation it must feel when you read all of these testimonials because yeah. it must be so, so hard to take on that weight. And that's why it's so amazing that you say a good person or a good human is somebody with empathy. So, yeah, hopefully everyone out there can head over to Teacher's Consent, check out your page learn a bit more about consent, try and educate yourself, educate your friends and yeah, keep each other accountable because I think the way forward and to try and break this culture that we do have, especially here in Australia is yeah, around education. So yeah. and I think I a hundred percent agree with everything you're saying and especially the accountability thing. Cause I feel like that's kind of like the point of this to be like, okay, we were socialized in a place like, you know, I believe we live in a rape culture in Australia and that's normalized this stuff. So being able to be like, understanding how you've contributed to that and I really think truly think everyone has and I hold full accountability that I massively contributed to it especially Mm. in my teen years um you know like slut shaming like upholding toxic toxic masculine ideals like all this different stuff and yeah I think taking accountability is really important and also I'll mention that um the website's teachersconsent.com if anyone wants to submit a testimony or sign the petition even though it's happening we can just add some signatures add some more well i've got the numbers here there's forty four thousand seven hundred fifty nine petition sign and that's a big movement so congratulations on that it's it's really special to know you've had allowed that many people in six thousand seven hundred fifty six testimonials like that's really special to know that you've given that many young women a platform to share their story and be heard and yeah to make some serious change so Thanks, everyone, for listening. I've yeah, had a pleasure having a chat. Day. Yeah, happy International Women's Day, everyone. And if you do listen to this podcast, today's an opportunity to reshare this. Um, I tell everyone always reshare, <laughs> but I think today's one day where instead of just listening to this podcast, I will probably say this in the intro as well, but this is an opportunity if you've got it on Spotify or every single person nowadays on Instagram can share a link. It's not just once you get over 10K, so there's no excuse. Make sure you share this around with your friends, share it with everyone you know, because I think it is, it all comes back to education. So do your little part for International Women's Day. If you've listened today, if you listen any day, send this around, share it on your social media, um, leave us some reviews, I'm sure. If you've got any questions, Chanel would be happy to answer them. Send them through to me. Send them through to Good Humans Podcast on Instagram. And, yeah, we'll try and get back to as many people and, yeah, share your stories with the testimonial page over on Teacher's Consent. But, yeah, I'm going to keep blabbering if I don't (laughs) shut up. So thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Chanel Contas. (laughs) Thanks for having me. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.